Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of getting your guys together and knowing that the great road stretching out before you is going to be filled with fumes and covered with shouts of the crowd and the squeal of the tires and the screams of... Is that a chicken? (laughs) No time to explain. Just get in the car. Yes. Go, Speed Racer. Go. Go, Speed Racer. Go. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't run over the chicken. It'll kill you. <laughs> Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week, we are going back to Fringeworthy and to an idea that I had 20 years ago is now going to bear some fruit because we're going to talk about it. And who knows, we might actually even do it as a product. We'll see. We'll see what TriTech Talents has to say about it. But what we're talking about is the great fringe race. Bruce, before we start the announcements, or at least the one announcement I wanted to make. All right. Yes. Thank you, uh, Trav. Uh, Trav has a few announcements to make, and we will be right back, folks. So keep your engines going. Okay. Um, many of you remember Amber Pip Rowe, my former protege, my dear friend who she was on the podcast with us for about a year and a half. Um, I would like to announce as of February, she is now engaged to Edwin Holt. Uh, no date has been set, but yeah, she, we here at the podcast saw the ring. That's a hell of a rock she has on her hand. So Pip, congratulations. I wish you and Edward a happy life together. Uh, they're down in Florida, and I believe she's now a nursing assistant. Yep, Mazatov. <laughs> yes. Is there any other announcements we want to make? <clears throat> so, is there anything you want to say, Josie? Yeah, I'm going to be having a baby. Yes. Get the, out of the, town. The professor is about to push out a student. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, as little of this one's tape- flipping around already. Yeah, uh, this this little one is, as of this taping, which is late April 2018, 15 weeks along. And, and so by the time it airs, it might actually have been born. Well, no. that would be, the due date is expected to be when, Professor? October 8th. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, you never know. Halloween, baby. That's the, that's the projected date, but given the tendencies... Probably could be late. And of course, um, those of you who remember our episode adding Fringeworthy to Supernatural, the professor's mother, Goth Bunny, is all set for grandmother mode. She's already, yeah. She was set for grandmother mode. She yeah, was yeah. half set for grandmother mode the other time, but. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, on, on a tangential note, uh, if you want to know what that's like, go watch Bad Mom Christmas. <laughs> but yes, uh, so you know, I might have to watch that just to see how much my mom falls into that. You bet. You'd be you'd be shocked. <laughs> but but I I want to say this publicly, Josie. Congratulations. Yes. Yay. Congratulations, Josie. Yes. I'm going to withhold my congratulations till I see the screaming, squirming little bot. Or no, when Uncle Trav has to babysit. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> it's a good thing you have yeah, no experience, Trav. Yeah, by the time the by the time the little one pops out, we should be up there. Yeah. Not not that I mind it, but yeah, it's like it, it's been about 20 some odd years since I've held a little one and had to take care of it. So we'll see. Yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to get those announcements out because Amber is still part of the TriTech family, even though she is now, you know, with her nursing assistant career in Florida. Yeah. So, all right. And, and, and she's being a complete stranger every time she gets anywhere around Atlanta. So what can I, well, she, 
Pip was never one for Facebook anyway. She pops on. Very, I mean, her own sister, Jessie, complains that, yeah, we don't talk on Facebook. So, all right. We now return control of the steering wheel back to Mr. Shepard. All right. Let's put the, this. Let's put the pedal to the metal here. All right. All right. So the OK. So the idea originally was that and. You know, I got into Fringeworthy uh, in many ways because of the super high tech and things like that. And I said, "What wouldn't it be crazy to have a, a, a road race on the Fringe Pass? Now, keep in mind, back then, the roads were only eight foot wide. They're not 41 foot wide like they are now in, in the later editions. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions about how are you going to pass each other and what kind of racing could you do? And maybe the only time you could attempt to pass would be as you were going onto a platform. And, and, and if, and if you went out and, and how would you go around? Would you have to throw out like anchoring hooks and whip around, you know, uh, uh, pylons and things like that, and and if you made a mistake, you go skidding right off the fringe of oh, the platform, yeah. off into the zero g, and possibly out into the zero atmosphere, and boom, disappear. You know, it could be carnage. And I was like, wow, this would be really great. And no, not really, Bruce. So this is the kind of thing that would be like you sign a waiver before ever thinking about competing. <laughs> Yeah, it was basically Death Race 2000 on the fringe paths, okay? Yeah. So, uh, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and this and, would be an awesome thing to do with that. Well, you could do that. Uh, do and, and certainly probably somewhere out there on the fringe pass, somebody is doing that. Well, so. <laughs> this one better not, and he knows what I'm looking at right, right. now. Right, but you know, but but as, as you know, cool. But time moved on. Cooler has prevailed, and uh, I and we kind of shelved it on the back thing. So uh, when we started asking about what you know, uh, what other topics would we like to talk about, Fringeworthy, I said, huh. He says, let's see if we can actually turn this into something a little bit more than a, uh, you know, uh, a Le Mans wet dream here. OK. Yeah. And so blow we, off the dust off the idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, really just you know, really flesh it out. And I see was wondering why I was sneezing. <laughs> right. Uh, what it would take to actually do this and why? Because, you know, originally it was just let's do it because it's a weird place and everybody's going to want, want to do it because it'll be exciting. OK, but uh, now that we're, we've spent a lot more time in game design, you know, we know that people have to be motivated. There has to be a reason for doing everything. So uh, and also, you know, not everybody is going to be on board for, you know, and an entire campaign's worth of it. Is it going to be short? Is it going to be long? So we, I, uh, I wanted to flesh it out, and that's what we're doing tonight. We're basically saying, you know, I, I create a huge, <laughs> a huge list of talking points that I've sent folks, out to all the other another, hosts. Folks, this is another forty bullet point Bruce Shepard outline we got here in our private group. Oh yeah. yeah. Now the thing is, I, I also came up with my my take on it too, which is about another three or four pages of stuff too. So we both, Oh God. Yeah. We both came up from different directions. Bruce came up from, from hit from his long, you know, long thing. And I just sort of more or less said, okay, brain engage and spewed out a bunch of ideas. So, but we're going to try and make them work together. Aren't we, Bruce? We're going to try to actually put forth something that again, might actually become a product. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, all right. So the first question we wanted, uh, I have on the list to talk about is, uh, what, you know, when you think about doing this, okay, how much, how much interest is there in this? I mean, how long do you want, uh, the actual playing of, uh, role playing of the race to be, you know, do you want it to be really short, like only one or two sessions, you know, uh, or do you want it to be like, you know, uh, a, a longer thing that maybe might be a dozen sessions, uh, or do you want it to be something that basically takes up an entire campaign year or longer? I mean, this could be basically what you do from this point on. It, what is it that you really right. want to do and why, you know, uh, why do you want to do it that way? And, you know, and because this is one of those things where it can snowball, the, the more time you give to it, 
the more elaborate, the more role-playing that'll be involved. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. John made a really good point. He said, if you're only running two sessions, you're basically running a you're basically running a, a game. You're running a, a, a like a Le Mans board game, and you're going to be doing a lot of dicing, but you're not going to be doing a lot of role-playing because you just haven't given yourself enough time to do it. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce, I'm not seeing, I mean, just reading this first part, how long a race do you want it to be? I'm not feeling in any way, shape, or form the short option. Just no. This this merits this drawing it out. This merits a long drawn out thing that you know, that 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 Trev would be cackling over. Right. Well, and, well, and Josie is speaking as one of my yeah, players now right. for like the past right. three or four years. So yes, yeah. right. I, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing with you because, like I said, there there are three options here, yeah. you know, um, and probably more. If you were going for the short one, you'd be going for the spectacle. You'd be going to say, "How can we make this as crazy?" you know, weird, you know, over the top, can we possibly make this, you know, just to make it just a lot of flash and excitement. And then at that point you could either come back to it later or, you know, when you had a little bit more time to think, because that's what happens with a lot of people is that you basically throw them into a situation. It's very chaotic. They, 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 you know, basically crash and burn, but they have fun doing it. And then they said, okay, all right, let's do this again, but let's do it right. And then they might, you know, you might spend more time doing it, uh, which is where you go to the middle one where, you know, you spend a lot first. You, uh, and I'm not talking about the, the prep the GM has to do. That's enormous. Okay. Because we're talking about how many worlds, how, how long do you want it to be? You know, it, 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 there's a lot of the questions that are listed down here and we'll get to them, you know? Yeah. And and then of course you could go all the way to the full blown, you know, doing this. And this is an alternate because we've one of the things that I always ran into with Fringery was what can you do with this game? I mean, what? And we Richard talked about well, you know, you could have like uh, you know uh, uh, this the the fringe um, Meller honey. Okay, you can be fringe security, you know, where you're you're fighting pirates or you're fighting, you know, uh, Meller on different worlds on call or you're a pure adventurer where you're, you know, you're, you're exploring alien worlds, you know, like the fringe uh uh, scouts, where they don't really do much onto the world except go in, look around, do a little <sighs> surveying and get back out. Okay, you know. There's the more extensive surveying, which is what most people do, where they go to the world to get involved with the locals. They, you know, there's a story that they get involved with, and maybe they might find some tech. And then there's the tech hunters who only go to worlds in which there's the possibility of real tech. Yeah. So all these things we talked about is in the book. You know, this is something that nobody ever thought about. Saying, well, wait a second, let's let's do a race and our our fringe campaign is going to be all about a race yeah and and you have to say well how are we going to sell this how are we going to sell this to people because you're like you want to have a hundred thousand people they want you to be explorers you want to be a racer yeah how are you going to sell it to idet and the member worlds that you should do this instead yes john well my first thought was this is something okay the short race i can see happening early on the the, the little short races cuz mainly hey you know we're we're still learning how everything works and one thing you we need to find out especially when you find out about the the physical properties of the actual fringe pass how they change texture and so forth let's you know let's do a let's do a, a practical test of our fringe vehicles see how well they work on the fringe pass and you know what let's make it a race I can see that as a short campaign. Mm-hmm. It, it's a race, but it is also R and D. Yeah. Now for that, I see a short, like one or two or three session thing. Mm-hmm. Boom, done. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. What what better way to see how it works? Yeah. I mean, you can do. I, I consider like you do the four hundred, which is you leave you leave Earth Prime and you drive right out to the farthest. Uh, farthest node, which is actually one of the satellite nodes from the stellar platform, and you drive all the way back. You stop in the prime platform, turn off your engine. Let's sit for 30 minutes. Now can you start it? You know, things like that. Oh, so we're talking 
the old you definitely doing R&D where you're learning about how engines certain engines run and don't yeah okay you got to start a diesel and we came up with what I think I came up with at least six different no four different ways of starting engines without using electricity and at least one of them of course it was human power but the other ones were like the old um uh what the old uh, aircraft used to use, the little shotgun shells to give it a kick and push it around. Then you have the pneumatic, and then you have the spring. And, the, and which one works the best with a diesel engine that you do, don't have a working glow plug for? Things like that. And, right. and you're using vehicles that were maybe built in the 1950s? <laughs> well, they didn't have to be. You could take those engines out of the 1950 vehicles and put them into modern vehicles yeah, if you wanted to. That's yeah. true, but yeah, but there, you know, I was looking at the fact that in Australia there'd be a bunch of these old trucks in the 1950s that were built. You know, these are trucks, and they're all diesel trucks, and they're all me- mechanical diesels. So yeah. you know, so why- well, you want trucks anyways because if you're going to be an explorer, you need to take your stuff with you. Yeah, yeah. And these trucks were designed to actually have a modular back end, so they were perfect. You know, they're just 50 years old. You know, they were built back in 1950s. <laughs> they're young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, like the computers I'm working on. Yeah. yeah. Basically, vehicles that you you take the one that works perfectly, and you take the engine apart, and you scan all the pieces, because you're going to have to print those damn pieces to repair the engines later on, because there is no spare parts for those things. Other than, If there were spare parts, they wouldn't they would have been already been cannibalized from the previous other vehicles. This is one of those things, yeah. Point of order here being a, as of this taping, about a, less than three weeks from now, a 25-year member of the automotive aftermarket industry. Uh-huh. I don't know if I would want to trust a 3D printed part for a car, considering the the temperature and vibratory extremes that you go through with car parts. I'm not sure I'd want a 3D printed. And I agree with you, but you still want to scan the parts because you can you can then put them on the uh, produce them through various other methods. You can actually use a 3D printer to print a wax. Um, a wax model for you, then you put in your sand mold, and then you make, and you, then you cast the part. Yeah, okay, then, but yeah, it's like if you were, you just said a 3D printed part. Trav, it also depends on what part we're talking about. Yeah. Because, I mean, if it's a manifold, probably that'd be okay. <laughs> if you're, you know, if it's a, if it's a flange or other things like that, you don't want, you probably don't want your engine block to be completely no, printed. No, no, There's a large vintage car uh, group here in Seattle and I've been talking to them. They say, yeah, pretty much they find an old junker, but the engine's still good. It's parts. You know, they literally will take it apart for parts for other vehicles that, that were the same model, or at least use the same model engine. That's what all junkyards are, basically. It's just you find these cars there, and it's like, yeah, this part works. Everything else, though, it's scrap yeah. for parts. Yeah, yeah. I, I was talking about, yeah, and they were, I'm talking about the folks who are driving the Model Ts and Model As. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whereas the Model T Restoration Club just down the road. Yeah, basically, a lot of those guys will scan scan working parts or it'll take models and take molds of them so they can make new parts when they need them because otherwise there's no way to get those parts. The point is, is that you're going to have a lot of experimental vehicles that people are going to be trying, and we're going to get to see how they fare against each other on the quote open road. How, how well does a Muscovy work when you when you kill the engine and let sit for thirty minutes and cool down, and now you got started on the platform? How well? Uh, the- well, how well does it work, you know, versus a uh, steam tractor? That's true. See, yeah. Yeah. With a steam tractor, you can quench the boiler, which kills all the heat, and then you have to start again. But you know what? The boi- It's steam. Guess what? It works. So the Brits have a better chance at, you know, the Victorians have a better chance at their vehicles working pretty well on the platforms. Well, we're sitting there watching some guy put in the crank and trying to manually crank a Muscovy. Oh, Lord help him. Right. But if you do go <laughs> off the fringe pass onto a world, yeah. then those very heavy you know, vehicles that the uh, Brits might have might not fare as well as some of the lighter gas-powered vehicles or, or uh, well, diesel-powered vehicles. Because there is one place on the, on, on our, on the uh, uh, United Nations Earth Prime uh, node that's perfect for testing off-road capabilities, the Junkyard Pokewall. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Why is that perfect? Because I always figured that place was just so full of junk you couldn't do anything. No, no, it's it, 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 based on it's based on its size. It's about forty miles in, di- in diameter, so it's it's pretty big, and it's it the the amount of layering it has based on it being hundred thousand years old and stuff like that. It does it. It's just got piles, but it has less caverns and places. It's off-road heaven for vehicles. I mean, you know, you'll be driving over stuff that will puncture your tires, that will, you know, put things up into your differential, and, oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's a great test bed to see how well your vehicle can handle going someplace nasty. I mean, we're talking, what was that one place that they had there that uh, there was a GM had? One of the test tracks that had the road of death. It might be up here somewhere, John. I just don't know where. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it well, might be up here in Michigan they, somewhere. They basically had washboards made out of, of, of three-inch concrete waves. Ooh. <laughs> they tested the, they tested their tra- they tested their suspension to destruction on that track. So it's but yeah, but you know, you never know. You may ha- you know, you may end up in another another pocket stop someplace and you need to drive and it's going to be another junk junkyard. And you need to be able to handle that kind of terrain. That's the worst terrain you're going to have. Well, with a minimum of a thousand years since the Mellor War, yeah, a lot of worlds have been abandoned and just they've yeah. fallen apart. Yeah, so they 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 collapsed and never recovered. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore, you you what better place than that place covered in junk to drive through to see how well you can handle the worst conditions possible. Yeah, uh, I, I think lava fields might be you know. <laughs> And, and 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 all those pressure ridges there at uh, Hatsumi Base is probably pretty good but too. That, but as I pointed out in another post, but that would not be the first race though. We don't know what the first race is going to be because you have Gordon Conrad, ex bicycle messenger. It will be a bike race. That's the first race. <laughs> you know, uh, you know he'd be pushing for it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's another option here, and uh, I like it because. I've always said that the worst part about Fringeworthy is the is is the death knell of GMs turning adventures into travel logs. Because you, you go to a world and they sit there and they tell you for the next 20 minutes all the different things you're seeing, how there's different from Earth Prime, all the different things you start walking around. It's always about there's this 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 animal, you know, in, in the tree, or there's these strange, you know, striated clouds, and and there's this old, you know, ruins and that could be anything, and the and the players are like, you know, and, and so instead, what you could do is you could have the race go through a section of a world, and the GM gets to then describe the world as the race as the cars are racing through and going around that you know that old ruin and over that uh, uh, washed out bridge and he can and, and involve the you know you have to talk about what they're doing and where they're going but you can basically get all that information about the alien worlds especially when we start introducing a lot of these different helpful members of the alien core okay their worlds in and of themselves are not terribly interesting but you want to introduce them and their people because you want to use them as a resource for new characters and such yeah. and so by having the race on those worlds some of it, at least, you know, a leg of it, then you can talk about, you know, how their architecture is different than another place and and all the things that you have to do in order for the race to happen on that world and then come around. So um, it's it's an option to to basically sneakily tell the players about the worlds that are part of the Commonwealth without as they say, turning it into a deathly travel log. I mean, I actually, uh, my bet, I, I sat down and said, okay, what are the, where are the most dangerous worlds you're going to travel on? And where are the most safest worlds? Safest, of course, the safest world is going to be Blizz, the Blizzard's home world. Any empty world. Yeah, well, you know, I'm talking, I'm talking any, any member worlds of the, you know, of the new Commonwealth. So the Blizzard's home world is going to be the safest place. Yeah. Why? They have, they have, Climax predators on that planet. They just stay away from the elephants because they get hit by a fifty rocks at the same time. The, the second safest, despite what you might think, the Golden Horde. You, if, if you're racing from the the plat, from the, say from the portal from the warp to uh, the the capital city and back, which is about four thousand kilometers, you're going through con territory. There are no bandits. There are no raiders. 
It is, in fact, your biggest problem is getting out of the cities you stop in for your checkpoints from all the parties they ho- they're holding for you. Yeah, because everyone has the fear of fear of con in them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the con is, is, is when when he's your buddy, everything is great. When he doesn't like you, oh, you are in deep doo doo. Yeah. The worst, the two worst places, unfortunately, is Earth Prime and Victorian Prime. Uh, Victorian Prime, because the British Empire does not rule everything, and then you have to go through places not controlled by the by the Brits. Those will be dangerous to you. And Earth Prime, well, because well, United Nations Earth, you know, um, we're not very united, and there's places you'd have to probably go through that would probably love, just love to put a RPG up your tailpipe. Yeah, the ASA countries just would be like, no, you're done here, get out. Yeah. Well, and we've already t- had a whole podcast about uh, all the different. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, all the different special interest groups and such, and some of the extreme sects that are there on Earth Prime, especially once they discovered the fringe paths and how it just rattled everybody's chains to realize that there was a whole, you know, place where. You know, there were civilizations a million years old out there, and how does that work in with our idea of who we are and everything? So there's a, a high degree of crazy on uh, Earth Prime, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, the one thing is also was when is this race going to be? If you're if there's races early on, then you're coming out of Hatsumi. I don't see you going very far in the, in the Antarctic with most vehicles unless they're really winter, heavily winterized. No. Yeah, so there's not much race. Right, no, I don't think you'd be doing anything. I mean, other than racing around, you know, um, the ice, yeah. you know, next to White Island, yeah. um, I don't see you doing anything on Earth Yeah. yeah. Later on, though, 10, 15 years, when the other uh, uh, portals are opened, Especially, uh, especially what, what I've been calling the Doggerlands, the North, the North Atlantic, because it, it would yeah. end up on the shores of the of uh, of the of the Netherlands, and oh yeah, you can drive from there. You know, you don't think the ASA would want to have a, a racetrack go around Easter Island? Nah, nah, I have opinions about the ASA, and then yeah, I'm, yeah, they're, they're my opinions, but yeah, Easter Island still is a UNESCO site, and I doubt very much they want anyone there. That isn't ASA. <clears throat> well, remember, John, we did that. Rich made the ASA as an enemy for Earth Prime. I think probably before UNESCO, the, it became a UNESCO World Site in real life. No, it became a UNESCO World Site in the seventies. Oh, okay. I looked it up. I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't. John, I don't care. I mean, what we said about the ASA, as soon as they knew there was a portal in their territory, they were taking it over. It didn't yeah. matter what the UN said. Screw the UN. But, you know, in 10, 15 years, it may not be a problem also as well. You know, you know, it may, you know that situation may have been cleared up in 10, 15 years. Definitely in 20 years, it's cleared up. So yeah, but but I I always envision the fringe race going away from Earth Prime and going to other places. But you know, if if it's ten fifteen year, you got other portals opened up. I mean, Chersky Mountains, Robertson's Mountains, though going from Robertson Mountains to say Antarctica would be really interesting because that would be down. That actually would be from Robertson's Mountains. Basically, that's actually the Transam. That's that's the Transam race. That's actually a known race that goes from Nome, Alaska. To Terra de Fuego. It's an actual race. I'm getting the vibe of Michael Palin's North to South. Yeah, but you know. For those of you who don't know what that is, Michael Palin of Monty Python fame has done travelogues over the years, Mm. and one of them was North to South, where he basically went from pretty much the North Pole to the South Pole and traveled along. I forget his other one. North to South was the second one. But basically, he traveled from the top of the world to the bottom of the world, and you just got to see all the cultures he got to deal with in that travel. What John is talking about here smacked. Yeah, he went through mostly Europe, and then, of course, he got to South South Africa and found out the the flight was canceled. So they flew over to uh, Argentina, I believe, and then flew from there down down to Antarctica. So yeah, yeah, so yeah, but still, it's it's it still would be one heck of a one heck of a race that would that would work from Tresky Mountains, and also the race from uh, Siberia from the uh, from Tresky from Tresky Mountains would be even ooh, wilder because you'd be going through most of, going through the Siberian steppes. Actually, where Tresky Mountains are, you're talking mountains. I was looking at topographic map of the area. 
you best have a vehicle that's careful, capable of overland travel because there are no roads in that area. And if there is, you know, there would be a road or at least a rail line put up there because of the fringe, the, the portal. But still, there, you know, there would, the, it's, it's horrible terrain. If you go there in summer, you would be eaten alive by those mosquitoes. Siberian mosquitoes are notorious. And then. And they, they beat Michigan mosquitoes, really? Uh, I remember seeing a, a photograph of a, a film, and uh, it was like a fog. <laughs> you do, you, John, you come from Michigan. You do know we joking. Leah, Michigan, the state bird is the mosquito. The Siberian mosquito. Si, you know, okay, Michigan, the Michigan mosquito is a, is a robin. The Siberian mosquito is a condor. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you I'm already done. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd have to go from there through through the, the, the picking your path from there to get down to say Antarctica would be interesting because you have to go through several areas that are basically several areas that are under well, under conflict right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, wait a minute. The Cherisky Mountains, they're in Siberia. So yeah, you're having to go through Partly the the Arab world, which we all know mm-hmm. has a lot of issues, and basically down through Africa, where you have all the tribal warlords. I mean, yeah, oh wow, right. that's a campaign in and of itself. Try to get right. through all that. Yeah. But these issues are basically what you're going to run into on any world you decide to go mm-hmm. to. Yeah. So it, it really comes down to how are we going to construct a race so that it's the most interest to the players. And basically achieves whatever goals we set for the race, whether it's a technological goal, whether it's a, hey, Earth Prime, we want you to learn about these people who are, you know, now our friends. So we're going to go and show you a race on primetime television or, you know, video streaming, and you're going to get to see, you know, them running around and all the different people and talk to, you know, uh, the various clansmen and, and um, uh, centurions or whatever else. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge PR. I see it as a huge PR thing. Which oh, is yeah. Getting back to my very first question was, why would they let you do this? rather than make you go out and explore because that's what you're really supposed to be doing in Frisbee, right? And my answer is no. Your part of it is is to go and try to make these people who are now our friends somebody that the Earth Primers care about. And instead of being as Richard said, uh, within a short period of time, uh, you know, the people start broadcasting about the fringe paths, and it turned into a bi-monthly journal that was released only to academics. Nah. See, I never saw it that way. No. And so if you don't want it that way, you've got to do something to engage the people of Earth and the people of the various worlds you're going to. And something like this, is a way of doing that. Oh yeah, I mean, I can see the race being. I mean, one thought I, I, it was a comment based on some of the uh, Bruce's uh, points, but it, it could you end up could being a well, something that's very popular on on American TV and and some European TV, a uh, reality TV show like The Amazing Race. So you have a lot of cases where you're going some, but you're so you're you're on Erd, and now you get to try their version of Lutfus. Mmm, yum. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and dealing with the fact that it's 20% higher gravity. So all your vehicles, their vehicles have no problem. Your vehicle might have a problem with 20% more weight. <clears throat> you know, your mileage will definitely drop. You're now, you're now carrying 20% more vehicle. And people, yeah, and those bumps on the road feel a lot harder. Your suspension is taking a beating. And the distances are... 20, are much larger. You know, we worked it, worked it out that it, yeah, the, the the it's more than twenty percent bigger. I can't remember the exact number I came up. I worked out uh, where it was, but still, you're going farther distances and you're dealing with heavier gravity. But you're also dealing with the people because you you have your checkpoints. Anytime you pull into a checkpoint, you're gonna be spending the day there. And that checkpoint, you know, you'll be meeting the people, talking, having adventures, you know, just look at, you know, look at any amazing race and even just if just the interpersonal or interteam uh, conflicts that happen can easily be make, make up part of the adventure. And oh, yeah. Another reason for this is, well, national pride uh, in a way. I mean, if it's like 15 or 20 years in the future, 
you definitely having the Chinese team, you have the Russian team, you have the American team, you have the Indian team, you know, all competing against each each, each other. Oh yeah, all the Earth yeah. Prime nations, major ones, would be wanting to contribute, and it wouldn't be just a matter of dimensional pride. Yeah, yeah, and it wouldn't necessarily just be national. It could also be uh, this is the Fringe Academy and uh, Bel Air, you know. Uh, uh, Belize. This is the Fringe Academy in Moscow. Okay, so I mean, you know, more along the lines of an intercollegiate thing as well. Yep. You had some talk about you thought that they would bring all the Fringe really back to Earth and train them, but maybe not. I mean, there could actually be, you know, a, a Fringe Academy on one of the member worlds. Oh, a Golden Horde Fringe Academy. Oh yeah. Well, you know. Uh, depending on how you, when we were talking with 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 the with Blix, when we were talking about the Golden Horde, you know, I was tempted when I ran it when I ran my game, I would do a Year Zero game uh, with with folks, and I had them uh, go to Golden Horde, and they and one of the fringe worthy was, as Peter suggested, the daughter of the Khan. She would definitely come back and form a fringe academy uh, uh, for the Golden Horde. <laughs> You know, so they would definitely may, be making their own exploration teams to go out there and look and look for stuff. Well, because we already know we already know Teus has one. Remember on 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 British Empire Earth, Victorian Earth, Edwardian Earth, what you want to call it, it's Mycroft Holmes that is running Teus. Yeah. You know he's going to have some secret training facility to train future Teus agents mm -hmm. to be out there. You know, for Queen and Country. Oh yeah, what was it? Uh, uh, Paul Nunes wrote this wonderful little thing. Uh, I asked him to write up, write up the request from Her Majesty's government to Her Majesty's government for information. And as a, and they would do that. I mean, you know, Queen Victoria would be asking her great grand is it great granddaughter? Yeah, great granddaughter for you know. Oh Elizabeth, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth for trade and information. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, and returning back, and of course, you know, but yeah, that's oh, that would be just trippy as all get out. Just knowing it's like on another world is my great great granddaughter. Weird, yeah, yeah. and she's older than I am right now. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> taping Queen Elizabeth, I think just a couple days ago, turned ninety-two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Interesting enough, the males of the family did not live very long, but the females, they just last forever. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you know, but yes, you would have Victorians would have a team. Uh, in twenty years, the the, the secrets the secrets out probably in the first five years. So you will have the Russians with their team because there's actually a portal in Russia. So they have their own portal and they'll be doing their own thing. So yeah, there's. The Brits will have competition on the plat on the platforms. The, the you know, uh, the, their cousins, the the Romanovs, will be busy putting out seeing out teams as well, you know. But they have most most of the portals are where they can get at them: Australia, India, you know, Congo. I forgot where the other ones were, but you know, it's plenty of t plenty of uh, of various uh, British Empire Earth teams out there. Uh, competing, but when you move into the the the, the late campaign, then anything goes. Mm -hmm. You've got the Bureau Thirteen team. Oh God, yes, Supernatural yeah. Earth team. You've got the uh, Mario Kart team, <laughs> <laughs> who find their vehicles only. They, they only work as normal vehicles. Uh, oh no, they're all gas powered, aren't? No, 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 they're all atomic powered, aren't they? Josie, are they? Are, I don't know what they're powered by. What the they're powered by. <laughs> but it's the point never is, never explained. They're just yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, they do seem to put, put a like a puff out when they go, don't yeah. they? Yeah. So I always that assume they were some for kind of internal. For all we know, they could be mushroom power. Yeah. They, they do seem air to go faster after you stick a mushroom in it. We were, we were yeah. talking about campaigns. One one concept I had for our campaign was, oh. You're not just doing this circuit from, you know, doing this long circuit around Benny's Worlds. No, no. You're a fringe race team. You're doing the fringe circuit. You're going from world to world, running races against other fringe teams with their vehicles. You're all running various Formula E racers or whatever. Whatever the, 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 you know, the race is here. I'd ask car, you know, interdimensional. Uh, on, on, you know, yeah, what, how did I write that down again? Let me look at. I don't know. <laughs> I wrote it down someplace. I'd ask car. Where's I'd ask car? 
Uh, Don't worry about yeah. it, John. Oh, yeah, that's right. The International Association for Stock Car Racing. Uh, stock Car Auto Racing. You know, whatever. You, you know, the, but you're doing a circuit with the ultimate goal of the French Cup. I'm not sure what world that would be on. It's it's it's, it's a mystery to me. Uh, which one would that be on? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it'd be the French Cup on the Mario on the Mario on Mario World, where you know basically it's the ultimate race because it is literally the ultimate race on Mario World. So that's where you, you but you're working up the stacks. You start as beginning car- beginning racers, and the campaign is. To, you know, getting your standing, making your points, getting you know, dealing with the other teams. Yes, you may have a nemesis team you you're you're going against, and you're trying to your ultimate your ultimate goal is getting getting into a place on the Mar on the French Cup on Mario World because that is the ultimate race, and the French Cup is set in something that's basically, you know, considering all the various Mario Kart race race uh, race tracks, there'd be one that would be the fringe worthy racetrack just think about what that one would look like because <laughs> uh, you'd probably pop through portals and end up in different worlds and pop all the portals and go different worlds and yeah it, it'd be entirely possible and it would be one heck of a race and yeah you and different sections of the track would have different hazards depending on the world yeah Oh yeah. So it'd be you know the ultimate race you you have to you, you get to go on and that kind of um Standings isn't is um I played this one. It's like uh, what's it? What's it? Uh, the Star Wars racer games, mm-hmm. specifically the early one. Oh, the pod race. Specifically, st- yes. Uh, you had to place decent in the earlier ones to get the next ones open. Yeah. In a way, you can do the same thing too, where basically you keep. Tr- I will just shorten the thing and say I didn't. Yeah, uh, basically, you know, of course, we're talking a role-playing game. Yeah, yes, the players will will be shooting to either win, place, or show. Based on the top three, that's where you worry about your standing. But that's mechanics, and we're not going to worry about it right now. But but yeah, that's another possible campaign. You're you're in the fringe circuit, and you know, you're not exploring. You're racing, and you're busy building your reputation and your PR. You know, it's something t- completely, uh, completely different. And you know, hey, how many times you, do you get to race through Rome, as in Rome of pa- Pax Romana, Rome? <laughs> I would think that would definitely be if, if you're doing this just a race. I would definitely see that as a late campaign model thing because we've explored. Yeah, fifteen twenty years, you're in the quote unquote late campaign, and where it's Hi, we've explored all this. We're just here for show. You know us. You like, love, tolerate us. Permission to do this, you know, for the the enjoyment and knowledge of everybody involved. And gentlemen and ladies, start your engines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, you know, that's when the first Fringeborn will be getting old enough to actually do things. And they may decide, you know, it's all this training you gave us. That doesn't help. You know, you know what? I want to race, you know, and the, and you definitely will have more fringe worthy, either through the either fringe born or you know uh, other 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 means, but probably fringe borns be the most likely source for most of the fringe way at this point by twenty years. But yeah, that that would definitely you have a lot more fringe worthy running around and allowing them going. I really don't want to be an explorer, but you know, I like going to these other worlds. I really enjoyed the chariot racing I did in Rome. I want to be a racer. I don't want to rule. I just want to sing. Sorry. (laughs) Right. And it's possible that some of the worlds may decide to use this as a form of diplomacy. You know, actually, you know, betting on the race saying, oh, okay, oh. if our, if we win this race, then this thing that we're now in contention about, we get it. Ooh. Yeah. And Bruce and John, as I say, back my math on this and especially John, because Pax Romana is one of his yeah. pet worlds. You know, the Romans back in the day had betting houses. Oh, yeah, I, it would be like how we got Vegas here today, baby. They bet on any and everything. 
you know the Pax Romana betting houses would be going, Act- what's the old British phrase, getting on like a house on fire. Actually, they would be, a, I did research on this one time. Uh, unfortunately, uh, betting was considered illegal in many Roman, Roman contests. It didn't stop anyone. Well, right, I was going to say. Does this ever stop anyone? Technically, right. technically, it's illegal on several occasions here. Does that stop people? Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> and in Vegas, you can bet on the Indy 500. So, yeah, there's probably places in Rome, in the, in the Petromai Empire, where you can bet on things. And, you know, and, and remember, when we're talking, it's, 50, it's like 1500 A.D., Time-wise, so their chariots are much better, you know, much better racing vehicles. They're probably more akin to the uh, uh, what was that one uh, one horse race we have right now, where you actually, where it's actually it actually it's a chariot race. It's it's a modern horse race. Harness racing. Harness racing. Northville Downs. Yes, that's right. Northville Downs. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you got. I, I remind you, but John comes from the area where I am now. It's just he's out in Seattle now. So yeah, it, it's. Yeah, no, Northville Downs, oh yeah, oh, those them as chariot races, but have them where you're not sitting, but you're still standing yep. with better construction, mm-hmm. better materials, you're not going to have them all as wood, you're going to have them as metal or polymers or, you know. Oh yeah, especially it's 20, 20, fiber, 20 years know. in the future, they de- Romans would definitely take advantage of any new technology they can get their hands on to make the better races. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and of course they'll be checking to make sure you haven't got a little trick motor down there to help the horse around with. <laughs> oh, oh no, no, oh no, that stuff there would get you put to the sword right away. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, it'd be that's a, that's a possibility too. But yeah, it, you know, modern day chariot racing. Yeah, if you have a race team, you gotta be prepared to do whatever racing is available in that world. Yeah, because the like like Romans would have chariots, mm-hmm. the British would have you know probably carriages. The Golden Horde would just fly out, get on a horse, and go. Yeah. Well, we're talking 20 years in the future. They may have motorcycles instead. A Mongolian swordsman on a motorcycle. Yeah. Oh. BMX bike. <laughs> I think I need another rum and coke. Oh, I'm sorry. If I could have some, I would. <sighs> well, yeah, it just... But no, Mongolian swordsmen, you know that they were expert horsemen. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you're having to. Let's say we have a Golden Horde team, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, all of the Brits, all of the Earth Primers, all of the Pax Romana people, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh crap, we're on the Golden Horde world." Yeah. Okay, we're we're gonna be get your get tie your napkins around your neck. We're gonna be eating their dust. Yep. Even if, if they are on motor ve- on motorcycles, you'll be eating their dust in that world because yeah, just because they were that expert, the the Mongolians they did two things very well: fight mm-hmm. and ride horses. <laughs> yeah, and Brits would probably be using variations of very steam vehicles, you know, steam vehicle races. They may they may have decided it's like, it, it, it's like how Josie doing things here. You play to your strengths, yeah, or electric. Because let's be honest. They're going to see what, what what all's going wrong on Earth Prime and going, you know what? We're going to bypass this internal combustion engine altogether and go straight to electric, and not have all this pollution that you folks have. <laughs> you know. Yeah, London. Yeah, Victorian <laughs> Londoners talking about pollution. Well, they get to see what happened on Earth Prime. Well, no, because they remember it was funky as all get out in London back then because of all the coal. Yeah, so I can see in twenty years they at least in England they have probably switched over to more cleaner stuff. Yeah, you know, just because you know they they, they have the example of Earth Prime for what how to do it wrong, especially Demixi Prime. Demixi Prime is really how you do it wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. That world is yeah. So yes, the Victorians may have completely bypassed the internal combustion engine, go straight to electric, and guess what? Elon Musk builds a plant on their world so they can, you know, get the better electrics. So yeah, you probably be doing electric vehicles on on Victorian Prime. I have a buddy of mine that actually a fellow dementia, well, former dementia radio DJ who actually works now for Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, Josie met him. He a yeah. Ben Coleman. 
Yeah. I might ask him. It's like that that would be an interesting thought experiment. I might ask Ben and get back to you all on that. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which also, if it is 20 years in the future, one thing they go make sure is, yes, you can have engine controls. You can have automatic brakes. You can have a collision, collision avoidance. But no other forms of driver assistance. No computer is driving the car for you, which would be a thing. I would say that would just be... That that just be something. Why would you want to do that? The whole thrill of the race is that the car. When you get a car in your hands, oh. it's like an extension of you. No. Why would you want to take that thrill away? Me as a driver, you're right. I wouldn't want to take it away. Me as the corporate sponsor who wants to win and prove his vehicle's good. <laughs> John, the whole thing of racing yeah. is, and I'm use this word the. Fusion of man and machine. Yes. The machine doing the power and the man controlling it behind the wheel. And I'm using the gender neutral term here, folks. Don't start sending hate mail. Yeah. The jet the the man who is grabbing the wheel, him or her, and they are testing not only their limits, but the limits of the vehicle in this very extreme condition, this race spanning universes. Yes. I mean, oh, do yeah. you really want to take that thrill away from the driver of the vehicle by doing any type of high-end computer control? I wouldn't think so. No, in, in fact, it'd probably be... Excuse me, you're doing what to my car? Yeah. I mean, in 20 years, the, the <laughs> gasoline-powered uh, Indy 500 probably will be a thing of the past, but the E500 would be a thing. Um, so, you know, various races. And, yeah, maybe they have a special fringe race on the Indy 500, you know, you know. Of course, they go. So we get to turn right, five hundred miles. Yeah, that sounds exciting. No, no, I. <laughs> well, that's the slogan of NASCAR: no, Go no, fast, no, no, left. It's Come on, left. you know this. Always left. Yeah, always left. Yeah. And I will. Yeah, there aren't enough muffins in the world for me to <laughs> let somebody mess with my car. No, <laughs> no, no, no. But it, it, it's a thing you have to. Maybe not for the player characters, but for another team who decide they they need the win, and they know the players are too good for them, so they may cheat. Oh, dude, <laughs> that adds an extra element of fun. Yes, and that, that's that's. And you can hear the air quotes in that one. Yeah, just yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna go with that. Yeah, I mean that's where the that wow. that's where we add that's where you start adding in the, in the role uh-huh. play to the race. You know, uh, in fact, you know, it's more than just eight drive eight driving roles, and you see if you win. No, no, you have to bluff. You gotta be sneaky. See, yeah, because oh yeah, not only do you. Not only do you have to decide, okay, do I want to mess with my opponents or not? Also, how well can you mess with them without getting caught? And how much? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the Romans may may allow may allow contact in their in their chariot races. <laughs> oh yeah, they didn't do that anyways with the chariots. You know, with the spikes on the that's wheels. Half, to, that's know? half the fun. It, it, it ain't fun for them unless somebody's bloody at the end. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.